to joker men podcast i am evan i am ian this is gonna be interesting this is um (laughs) this episode i don't think that this is joker men hard mode this is (laughs) which we've had a streak of yeah lately we've been doing some Although this one comes out before the other one that we right. recorded, so you'll you'll see. Well, it, there's a spiritual and literal connection between that and the other. Um, That's true. Well, I, I can just break the uh, silence here. Uh, we we will be talking about uh, Nico's discography, as you know. We've begun, and if you know anything about that, um, the records that come after Chelsea Girl have a more different feeling they're more different that's right there's more different they're just extra different um than more and more different they're difficult some might say um yes and this is an album today we're talking about john kale's music for a new society and i'm pretty sure that's this right. has got to be the only time that anybody's ever t- attempted to do this on a podcast <laughs> we might be making the biggest mistake of our lives. This is a this is this is for experts only, folks. Do not try this at home. Don't put this record on. Like you know, we talk about <laughs> put it on as a concept of oh, that's an album. Uh, you know, Nashville skyline. You can just put that sucker on, and uh, whether you're having a cookout or you're um, enjoying time uh, sitting and drinking a glass of wine with your friends mm. or you're petting your dog, everybody's gonna like that. Um, it'll add a buoyancy and sense of merriment to the background of your festivities or even just a regular old day. And um, this record does actively the opposite, I think. <laughs> I think this record will unsettle you. It will make you confused. And when you do understand it, it will make you sad. Yes. Yeah, I have this, you know, this is one of the John records I have, like an actual oh, you do? You know, copy really? of. I do. Oh, I'm yeah. jealous. I, I got it for $5 at Amoeba like a decade no. ago. Wow. No way, no way in hell that would happen today. Uh, but it's one, I have it on, you know, vinyl, but it's one that I like don't even like listening to yeah. on my stereo because it's 
pumping out into my home yeah. and my dog and my fiance can hear it. And it's just mm-hmm. like, is unless they're prepared for what is happening here, it's not something you want to just walk into the living room and John is in the middle of sanities. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have been having a similar sort of, well, it's been interesting sort of like listening to this record because I live alone at the moment and I, live the lifestyle of a bachelor. Um, That's right. And even still, like, I just, I wonder, like, do people hear this outside? Like, do people walking by my open window hear this? Um, do they think, do they think you're okay? Are they calling uh, social services? Is my car, like, you know, playing it really loud? Like, is, is it kind of just sending uh, vibrations into the next car be struck with a deep existential sadness out of which they can never recover. Yeah. But you know, anyway, I've just been walking around and I've, I've been listening to it on my walks and in my car and in my home. And I, I've been really just trying to do what anybody does with a difficult situation. Um, you know, relax into it, meet it halfway, meet it any way you can. And it's not, you know, people who know me, you know, you know that I'm not averse to challenging music, but Mm. I think that this is a record that I've um, had historically some uh, trouble with uh, accessing. um, And I think I finally, through repeated listenings with, with purpose, I think that I've come to discover some things about it that, uh, have improved my ability to contend with, with what we have here, improved my um, Hmm. confidence, at least with how I feel about the music and in in a positive way. Interesting. So you, so you're saying you have like come to appreciate the music. more. I don't know that I've come to understand it, that much more, but I mean, yeah, yes. Basically, I think that I've found my own way of enjoying it more so. Right. Yeah, it's it's a record. You know, enjoying it is is a is an interesting way to to uh, say it because it's one that like I have always tried to, or or just sort of naturally, I think have have kept it at arm's distance you know and like have listened to many times but it's not it's not a record that I come back to very frequently mm-hmm. because it it uh it demands um for me at least it demands you know kind of complete and total submission to what's going on here it's not yeah. the kind of thing that you just throw on and you tune into and out of like it's it's <laughs> you got to be dialed into this when you're listening to it and it's just not typically a very um, uh, pleasant uh, kind of experience. Um, and so it's, um, I mean, I, I think that's an interesting concept, and I've been thinking about it more recently, thinking about the Nico records too, right? Like mm-hmm. music that you know is good and great, um, or any sort of art, you know, in, in whatever medium, that you know is, you know, fantastic and extraordinary and important, and yet it's something that you yourself don't enjoy, you know, experiencing in the moment necessarily or don't enjoy experiencing in the moment as much as something else that maybe isn't as high caliber um in terms of the artistic achievement it's just uh you know it's it's another it's an interesting 
kind of balance uh, between those two ends of the poles. And yeah. this is one that, uh, you know, I think coming back to, I have a little more ability to sort of like look at it through glass and, and let it just be there and try to, as best I can, take a objective, cool, level-headed kind of approach to it. But even still, I mean, some <laughs> some of the shit on this record just... Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it really does bring to mind, I mean, an important thing, um, which is consuming music and cons- and consuming art and how you do it and um what you bring to that um as a an active listener and active uh, participant um or viewer it's uh i think that when you believe something about an artist in this case when we have plenty of reason to believe in John Cale's intent artistically, that he's somebody who is not just doing difficult things. You know, he's not putting superfluous uh, barbs on his music. If it sounds this way, it's it's because that was part of the idea, um, right? And I think that, and you know, that goes for the Nico's albums too. They though that is something that keeps me actually coming back to something as um, challenging as this, or, you know, as listeners know, I love like the late period of Scott Walker's work. And um, it's because I ultimately have faith in the artist's intent. And so I don't feel like I'm putting myself through needless discomfort. It's um, there's a, a certainty that I have that there is something under the surface or um, working within the mechanisms of of these songs that is worth spending time with, even if it's like spending time with a ghost or monster or a vampire sure. uh, or a spooky apparition, and you're, any, just, you're any sitting there looking of at Universal's <laughs> Hall of Horrors, Look, looking at Frankenstein's monster himself, the Wolfman, looking at the, the creature from the Black Lagoon. I shudder to think. I imagine <laughs> just staring at you uh, from across the the room um you're sharing an air, air, air pod <laughs> with him uh yes yeah uh on that note you know i, I think the comparison with nico it's um is instructive and clear and and uh john himself agrees actually right from you the said book. Yeah. he says yeah he says on music for new society i wanted to do a marble index uh, put the songs down, then write independent arrangements around them. It's an arranger's record. The whole thing is based on arrangements, and I think this is really interesting and key. There are melodies there, but some of it even goes outside the realm of that. It's like the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. The whole thing was hooked on the voice, which I was really proud of. The voice is sticking out there. It's not hidden. There were some examples where songs ended up so emaciated they weren't songs anymore. I think like of all the records that we've talked about so far, maybe even more than metal machine music or like on as close to metal machine music as, as John is getting, like this really like pushes the boundaries of like just what you can consider a rock record, right? Like an album that you press and sell in a record store oh, yeah. and, you know, get people to pay attention to based on singles and lyrics and guitar riffs and stuff like that. Cause this is like how much of this is actual music, you know, and based on melody and with a verse, chorus, verse structure, like or rhythm you know, you get that here and there. Yeah. It's, but it, it's so skeletal. Like, like he says, yeah. Emaciated. yeah it's emaciated. You know, the, the music itself has been starved out of the music and what you're left mm. with is just this gaunt, 
face of doom. Uh, you know, <laughs> there's no other way to put it. A pile of ashes in the shape of a John Cale. I'm thinking of uh, you know you know the Picasso you know the blue period Picasso the, the guitar you know Picasso's guitar playing That's right. like I'm like this is the record that that guy would have recorded in 1982. That has a, at least a guitar on it though. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, there is a guitar. There is one very notable guitar on this record. The funniest part about that was that in the um, bit uh, about the album on uh, what's Welsh for Zen. He says, that song, Change is Made. The only thing that sounds like a rock song on this record. He's like, it shouldn't be there. It shouldn't be there. (laughs) It's like the record label insisted that it be there, and that's why it's there. And um, so I I think that he seems to have maybe changed his mind about that, actually, because when he remade the record in um, the M Fans release with the reissue Mm -hmm. of this album, um, what year was that, 2013? 12? I think it was, no, I think it was like 15 or 16. Hmm. Oh, okay. Shifty Adventures uh, was 2012, and then I think M Fans was 16. Okay. In, in any case, he includes uh, and remade that song, Changes Made, on there. So mm-hmm. I think maybe he's, at, when he wrote um, the book uh, What's Welsh for Zen, he might have been dismissive of it, but it seems perhaps there's reason to think he might have embraced it its inclusion and i'm yeah i'm glad to see that because i think that it's interesting to see how it works on the record if you do um think of it as uh fully a part of the record and not something fo- foisted in there um against yeah. his will i think it's an essential part of the record um and, but you know we'll uh we'll get there when we get there should we yeah we should do we have any other throat <laughs> we're gonna have to do this eventually we yeah have to fucking rip the band-aid off at some point so i guess we might as well <laughs> Taking your life in your hands. Man, what a fucking bait and switch this song is. sounds so beautiful and placid and you're like oh man this is gonna be a great record full of just like chill ass vibes yeah it's gonna be uh, like his new age record because the cover (laughs) might it could be anything you know it's honestly it's one of my favorite album covers like it's a great it's just what it's this bright white it looks like so fresh still it looks like it could have come out yesterday it has Mm -hmm. this uh true contemporary timeless quality this like really bold minimalism, but you still got this really nice human touch with this like 
cyan, like bright, light blue, uh, little film, uh, negative, I guess, of John. Of John, yeah. And shot then, by Betsy Johnson. Right. Um, I guess they were, you know, estranged, but not so estranged at that point. Right. Uh, and John Cale, his hand scrawled, uh, name, I suppose, uh, in big gray against white and then music for a new society in this very kind of clean spaced out sans serif in like a dark purple or blue. Yeah. Anyway, it just, it's great. So we've talked about the cover, but covers out of the way. If you've got that cover, you're looking at it. It's got, uh, the title, which seems nice music for a new society. Mm -hmm. And then. This ends up being a song that, as far as I can tell, is a kind of narrative about a woman who, a mother who has committed some horrible act of violence against children, and then her <laughs> remaining children are like sad that they, it's it's their about their confusion at the, uh, at her being carted away to a mental asylum or a prison. Seems to be, you know, a, a relatively accurate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he says something Break about that there. in the, in the, uh, the book. Um, yeah, I got it right here. It says uh, all the characters in those songs, those songs being the songs on Music for a New Society, have lost something in taking your life in your hands. You have a mother who's being taken away for having committed homicide, and while her children are somewhere in that song, it's never clear whether she's killed them. All those songs are about different sets of circumstances, which unfortunately leave the central figure isolated. Singing those songs was and is like method acting. I become the character in order to explore the conflicts within the character. People are usually more, most interesting because of the conflicts they go through. So, you know, it's trying to find trying to find the humanity in a mattress. No, the mattress side is killing no, your mom. The is, opposite of that. Well, could a be. mother, a uh, 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 child side committer. It, ostensibly, um, it's unclear, but um, kind of seems. That well, way. it's pretty clear what he says, right? <laughs> he says, well, he says song it, about it might be that he says the children are somewhere. It's unclear if she's killed them. Right. Right. Like after that quote. Well, yeah, I mean, he, I think he in that in that quote, he's explaining like the idea that was behind the song, but what we get from the song itself, we don't know for certain. Yeah, I think he's implying. He seems to be implying that that's the case, and uh, I, I know it's. I feel like a broken record, but this is the only other thing, the only other artist you can guess who I would compare this to. You know, in terms of making a song that is like a a very specific sort of narrative. Um, told in an abstract way, and it's about something horrible. Um, uh, that would be Van Morrison. Mister Van Morrison. <laughs> uh, no, it's like fully like late period Scott Walker stuff. Um, you know, he's got songs that are very. There's a song on his last release called Herod uh, 2014 that's like ostensibly about like a uh, the the slaughter of the children by King Herod and a mother like uh, hiding her children and they might be dead while she's hiding them. Like it's, you know, similar type of crazy. Well, is- it's like exactly that, you know, it's, you don't want to, you find out what it's about and then you kind of wish you hadn't maybe. Right. I mean, this is not the late period, John, this is like, early period john at this point you know this is like a decade into his career so i think it's really 
even more remarkable that he had gone or was willing to go this far out this, you know, kind of early on in his career while he was still ostensibly, I feel like we're both saying ostensibly a bunch. In this I, I say it all the time. <laughs> while he was, um, I guess that's your equivalent of right off the bat for me, which I've realized yeah. listening back to some of the episodes is. You also say, say you say, um, uh, uh, you say kind of a lot. Do I say kind you of? Know? Yeah, I, I'm bad yeah. with the space filling words. Kind of, and I do a lot of umming, but <laughs> it's working okay. on it, folks. Uh, it's it's fascinating that John was willing to go this far out uh, at this point in his career when he was still ostensibly, ostensibly mm. ding, uh, ding. an artist who was uh, supposed to be selling records and like touring and making money <laughs> at this whole thing. Are you um, afraid you know, of making money, the- John? John, are you afraid <laughs> of making money? Uh, uh, I think you're kind of right, but also kind of. Uh, let's be real. Like he was always going that far out with the content up to this point. Like that's nothing new. He was writing fucking head of gabbler and gun. Yeah, but it, that's true. But it never sounded like this. That's the thing is that the music didn't go as far as the exactly. It didn't match the lyric as um closely. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, like, it's, it's all of the ugly, you know, psycho bullshit of something like Leaving It Up To You, lyrically speaking, but it's also, like, what if we made the music just as sicko and psycho as the subject of Leaving It Up To You? <laughs> also largely improvised, or if not, like, all the way, practically, um, it seems, because the way that this record took shape in it originally was, like, he was going to go in there and bang out some songs on the piano. And that approach evolved into doing a record with that kind of minimalism um, at heart, but not being constrained by the piano and and kind of thinking about what else he could do with just what what was at hand and in that in the moment, riding that sense of risk and, and possibility and kind of letting the chips fall where they may. From what it sounds like, the the way that he talks about the record was torturous, and he c- describes his mood at the time as grotesque. Yes. <laughs> but he seems to be pretty adamant that that was something he was embracing and choosing to use as an artistic starting point. And I think that is really the boldness and the risk and the promise of this record all hinges on what what is he gonna do up there like it's it's an improvisational record but the stakes are not lowered right yeah i i i don't think that he was in a very good place uh and he himself says as much in the book also you know he there's after he you know kind of recites the experience of having made the record uh the the first sentence of the next one is or the first sentence of the next uh paragraph or section is Throughout the first half of the 1980s, my life revolved around alcohol and drugs. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, it, it, you know, it, understanding that I think helps you put this record into context. Um, I don't think that if he had been, uh, you know, in a healthier place, perhaps that he would have had the really like the the confidence or the willingness to go as as far out there as he as he really does here. Um, 
because he does also mention like you know he he wanted to try to sell records um there's another <laughs> yeah that's a fucking says, joke but he's like I, you know <laughs> i nobody bought the damn thing it's like yeah of course of course uh, yeah, he says it was a bleak record, all right, but it wasn't made to make people jump out of windows. They wouldn't have jumped out of windows anyways. They wouldn't even buy the damned album. Music for New Society was my best received record ever, and it bombed, and I wanted to sell records. I don't want eulogies. I'll leave them for my gravestone. That will finish that quote because it's great. <laughs> John Cale, va va boom. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Uh, so that's why we why we love him though is that he's the type of guy who while doing this didn't even stop to think like about the commercial uh rat poison that it was like the fact that this is (laughs) it's just a disc full of arsenic it's just like yeah he's Uh. he's he's cooking a, a, a meal that is just like nails and tar and blood and he's just like nobody's hungry nobody wants to eat my no one food. wants this why, why what what is going on here? i slave all day over the over the stove trying to make this and nobody wants it <laughs> nobody wants this <laughs> Uh, the the next song though, we're about to want it because it's fucking amazing. Thoughtless kind, thoughtless kind, um, is one of my favorite songs ever from anyone. When we grow tired of the friends we make, in case we mean. It's a fantastic song. I kind of hate it because it just like is so viscerally upsetting to me to listen to that the ticking whatever that is i don't know yeah. if he's on a drum or if that's like a timer or something but just like i i every time i i hear this song it just gives me the willies and i can't stop thinking about it all the way through which i think is exactly what he's wanting out of this i i think that the song itself is my is a song that i love hmm. this version of it is very specifically un uh unsong like in certain ways. Oh, I see. So you're you're talking about like live performances or something. If if you listen to um the outtake version that's here at the end um on like the uh, reissue or if you listen to the version of it especially the version of it that's on um fragments of from a rainy season it's really just an acoustic guitar ballad and it's um gorgeous. <laughs> Tired of the friends you made, even though you meant to say something else. Say they were the best of times you ever had, best of times. 
of the thoughtless kind. And that song exists here, and this is just the way it came out um, for this and in this context. God. The echoing laughter towards the end is, oh my God. This empty room with like sort of someone sobbing and then crying and laughing. And I feel like I'm in an insane asylum. I feel like I'm like in a fucking straight jacket in a padded room listening to this record. <laughs> First song seems, seems to be about a, uh, you know, a woman being it's sent there who's on their way. You know, the, the met yeah. the gentleman in blue and those in gray say, I'll never see. She just, there's a line in it. It's like, I want to see, what is it about wanting to see? Mama in that funny school far away. Full of hysterical laughter and say, Mama, Mama, I've left school today. I hope I get to see you in that funny school far away. But those gentlemen in blue and those in gray say I'll never, never see Mama again. Mama, Mama, I've left school today. I hope I get to see you in that funny school far away. But those gentlemen in blue and those in gray say I'll never, never see Mama again. Such a grim set of lines about the funny school far away it feels like that's mm. where you are when you hear thoughtless kind and he is in a straight jacket like on the cover of uh of helen of troy um but for real and not in a kitschy way yes <laughs> not not in a studio for an album cover photo shoot just actually in that room in that circumstance <laughs> So if you grow tired of the friends you made <laughs> Never, never turn your back on them And the thing about the song is that this is the first song that I think he's written that seems to be genuinely and fully about his past with the Velvet Underground. He's said that that is the case. Right. And there's actually this little documentary. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. There's a video of him playing it. Uh, it, it closes out a documentary from the eighties about the Velvet Underground. One of the first docs. Yeah. I, 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 rem- I think you sent this to me at one point. It's, I think when ago. that song was relatively fresh still. Um, and the way that they choose to end that documentary is with uh, him performing it. He's wearing some kind of graphic tee and he's playing it, but there's a montage of pictures of um, the, the velvets in their, in the heyday. And I think that that is really a, a kind of an essential viewing to understand the song. I think that it's a song that seems to be about, um, you know, he says in the book that it's about, Velvet Underground. Thoughtless Kind really has more to do with the Velvet Underground than anything else, and with your basic antisocial thoughtlessness. But it's still saying those were the best of times. You're better off thinking of them that way. It's a really profound song, I think. Lyrically, I think it's just great. But yeah, it's a very sweet, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a warm song, I think, if you're just looking at it, 
you know, uh, words on a page and, and reading it, uh, which is what makes the the instantiation of it on this record, this particular version, way it sounds so fascinating because it is such an unpleasant kind of listen, uh, you know, just hearing the sounds that go into your ears. But if you're just taking it at face value or if you're seeing one of these other, you know, versions that he does all throughout his career, it's, I think it's, you know, it's, uh, I, I'm right there with you. It's one of his strongest songs and one of his, most nakedly kind of, um, like I said, warm kind of tracks. I would say, though, that I, I don't think it, I think it's genius is that it's not just warm, it, it, that it's equal parts warm and cool and cold. Like there's this thing in it that is really unique to, I, I don't know another song like it. It's why it's one of my very favorites in, in that it it does both at the exact same time. Like when we grow tired of the friends we make, in case we mean to say something else, say they were the best of times you ever had. The best of times were the thoughtless kind. He's acknowledging in this song that you might have grown tired of your friends, or there's a, a too much baggage there, or there's just a, um, a pall of darkness over these, this person that you've used to know um like in all my happiness is gone mm. from purple mountains friends are warmer than gold when you're old keeping them is harder than you might suppose lately i tend to make strangers wherever i go some of them are once people i was happy to know lately i tend to make strangers wherever i go some of them are once people i was happy to know i think that he's acknowledging that you want to like certain people and can't anymore and that this is a song that as much as it has a fondness and a warmth toward these times it's about the moment when you decide i'll just think of it fondly but from a distance because that it doesn't feel it's not warm anymore it's something that's gone cold and the best thing you can do to move forward is to just kind of put it away put it behind glass put it in a book and close it with some kind of purpose that that was good but you can't access it anymore we dress conservatively at the best of times prefer the shadows to the bright lights in your eyes of the ones you love the bright lights in the eyes of the one you love the use of thoughtless, I think he's talking about the, the time spent as, you know, in, in his youth as a time when you had the luxury of nihilism or the luxury of frittering away your, your days, drinking and fucking and doing whatever. And that when you grow older, those thoughtless times become precious. You don't have that luxury anymore to be thoughtless. There's so much 
within that choice of that word uh, in the song. I, th- I think I think you're right about all of that. Although I think ultimately for me, it's it's sort of a more hopeful kind of takeaway because the you know the last verse. So if you grow tired of the friends you make, never never turn your back on them. Say they were the best of times you ever had. The best of times were the thoughtless kind. Like it's it's acknowledging you know that you might change and the people around you might change, and that the way that you felt or they felt or the way you know that your d- dynamic once worked just isn't there anymore. And yet you know, finding a way to overcome that and get through that, never, never turn your back on them is, um, I think that's a really just kind of, it it sounds to me like John is, you know, expressing some degree of regret uh, here, you know, based on what happened, not his own actions necessarily, but just the way that things, you know, you know, shook out um, within the Velvets um, because he sees what happens when, this doesn't happen, you know, when, when someone pursues this the opposite direction um, and you just cast someone out into the, um, into the, the icy wilderness and never, never to be heard from again. I mean, we know from listening to like the Lou and John uh, on, on the Light in the Attic release recently, like they were just two goofy fucking best friend kids, you know, doing speed and making little like demo tapes in their attic, like having a ball together in New York in 1965. And like, there was a real kind of warmth and like familiarity there um, and, and love, I think. Um, and so I think ha- having had someone turn their back on him, John, you know, someone turn their back on John, um, you know, gives him this kind of perspective or this wisdom here to be able to put this song across. Yeah, there's an insight there that I, I imagine when, when he talks about the bright lights in the eyes of the ones you love will tell you nothing like the scars of imagination. The bright lights in the eyes of the ones you love will tell us nothing except we're the thoughtless kind. I imagine him sort of looking through photographs, literally or figuratively. Linger on Seeing the face of him, his younger self and his friends and knowing that they are naive. And there is a positive way to spin the thoughtless kind idea too because the thoughtless kind, as much as it's the thing in the past that's not there anymore, there's also this idea that maybe right now can also be a thoughtless time where you don't, you don't turn your back. You just stay with whatever is happening like the the best of times being the thoughtless kind can still happen you can still be thoughtless in the positive way as long as you decide never to turn your back mm. the bright lights in the eyes of the ones you love will tell us nothing like the scars of imagination The scars of imagination The bright lights in the eyes of the ones you love Will tell us nothing Except through the thoughtless kind So if you grow tired of the friends you made, <laughs> never, never turn your back. 
back on them Say they were the best of times you ever had The best of times The thoughtless kind <laughs> The very best of times With a thoughtless There's a lot going on, and it's two and a half minutes long. And it's the second song on the record. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot. You know, all of these songs, I think, are very dense. You know, it's, it's a short record, you know, short songs. Um, th- thank God. Um, but <laughs> they're, they're dense in the way that a, a black hole is dense. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and perhaps no denser than the third song. Sanctus or Sanities, depending on which one you want to go with. She was so afraid Since her mother White with time told her she was a failure well interesting story about that I I learned from the the book that it was called Sanctus but like scrawled on a box of tapes or masters or whatever it was uh, somebody at the record company thought that it said sanities and mm-hmm. so there was a mix-up and uh, john says he's forever grateful for this mix-up because uh, sanities he says is a much better word <laughs> overall uh yeah i think <laughs> i think that makes sense uh sanctus is a little kind of like i feel like what's great about this record is how like real and and raw and like in touch with reality it feels to me and like mm-hmm. a word like sanctus feels a little bit like put on yeah um and, and like over dramatic um and so sanities you know uh especially like we talked about so far feeling like you might be losing your own uh sanity yeah. i think that uh is a sanity's, suitable <laughs> suitable title sanities sanities um, plural almost plural. never you don't yeah. hear that ever <laughs> nobody says sanities um this is famously um also the song that uh come the the, the final moments of alan moore's watchmen are based upon mm-hmm. or, or uh, reference the final text in in watchmen is a it's a um, paraphrase of lyrics from this song, and it's attributed to him right there in the book. Right. Um, a, a stronger world. Uh, I think he says a, in the book, does he say a better world to die in? I think, a strong, I think uh, it'll be a song. stronger world, a stronger loving world to die in. More loving world to die in. Yeah, that's right. 
Um, and it's, uh, he said it's a spy story. You know, whatever. That he's reading a spy. <laughs> whatever, John. Is, am I right about that? It's a, that it says that he said that? I, I read, think so. It was so. like an attempt to read a spy story over a piece I, of music. You know, it uh, just because just because someone says something doesn't mean it's true. But I'm I'm not r- crazy. He does say that, right? In yeah, yeah, book. yeah. I think you're, okay. Yeah. Um, um, well, that does lead. I mean, uh, props to uh, Alan Moore for, because everything about that, even the fact that he said that, um, especially that uh, that works really well with the way he uses it in Watchmen, which comes like at the. Uh, at the end of the world, the fucking uh, squid that's been like teleported from another dimension into the middle of Manhattan uh, <laughs> to create like a, a new world order, um, like chaos event. Uh, right. It's anyway. crazy that this was picked up on by Alan Moore to the extent that it caps the entire run of Watchmen. Uh, because that came out like I think four years after this record came out. That was like eighty five or eighty six or something. Mm-hmm. The, the Watchmen, you know, the initial twelve series or twelve issue run. Clearly, he found this record and it meant you know a great deal to him um, uh, to the point that you know he caps the whole fucking thing with with that quote. But um, the fact that this record found that you know kind of audience, I, I think it speaks just to the caliber of what john is achieving here even though it didn't sell a ton you know surprise fucking surprise Mm -hmm. uh those who did who did find their way to it obviously clearly were were deeply uh kind of impacted by it and of course we have mentioned this several times but this is the moment to really express uh and point out incredible uh kismet of jokerman mindset through the ages alan moore's watchman begins with the genesis point of the, the whole story comes from Alan Moore's fascination with the line. Now at midnight, all the agents and the superhuman crew come out and round up everybody that knows more than they do. And it ends with John Cale in 1982. Truly incredible. I mean, just the the effect that both of those artists have had. And they come together in that one great work of art. It's all connected. One of the great crown jewels in the um, constellation of Jokerman mindset. <laughs> Did you read that piece yet um, in the New Yorker? Well, that's what I was just going to say. Is it filters on right down to to today? John himself is still referencing Bob, and you know, uh, there's another there's another um, piece from the Sydney Morning Herald. Question for John: The line that has stayed with you, John's answer: She can take the dark out of the nighttime. And paint the daytime black. Bob Dylan. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, Matthew Allen, who uh, conducted that great interview, is, uh, I'm pleased to say, friend of the show, fan of Jokerman Podcast. Um, we're happy to have you among our ranks asking John Cale good questions like, 
what do you think about Bob Dylan or whatever the question was. <laughs> and he had a great answer. I mean, it was, that was an incredible, another, as long as we're talking about great moments in Jokerman mindset, uh, that, what do you like come on like it seems like we did start the show at the exact right uh, point in the timeline uh because little things like this keep happening where like you literally got john kale talking on the in the new yorker about how lou reed was uh eventually able to approach the slam bang poetic ability of of bob dylan mm. And he's talking about how, like, he feels, you know, Dylan was the apex, and then Lou was finally, uh, eventually able to equal him. I mean, that's, we're not making it up. This stuff really is connected and has a true and genuine lineage that you can trace. And it's not always obvious, but it's there. It's there. It's there. Just trust us. We have we have our sanities. Yeah, we're not we're not going insane. Uh, which speaking of the song, which we <laughs> this to me this song is like you're like sitting in a church, and a new day is dawning. Edible hits, but the yeah, and the edible hits exactly. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, it's the day a new day is dawning, but it's the day that like your parents die or something. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 this is maybe like of all the songs on the record, like maybe the least song like, cause it really is sort of like, like a sound collage, you know, there is no melody and it just goes on and it's just John kind of weaving in and out with these little snatches of description. She was so, she was so ashamed of everything she said and everything she did for her mother white with time Then she heard choirs of angels singing choirs of angels. Then she heard choirs of angels singing choirs of angels. Greedy angels. Spinning glory on her failure. Spinning glory on her failure. It's like, uh, you know, some sort of ecstatic fever dream, uh, but uh, of the devil instead of, of God. <laughs> A spy story? A spy story? I, 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 don't, I don't know where he's going with that. Anyway. Anyway. I mean, maybe just the, maybe maybe he's just referring to like riffing off all the names of the cities at the end, the way that a James Bond movie jumps from exotic locale to, to Reykjavik, locale. Reykjavik to Bonn to Leipzig. Leningrad. After all, what was there to understand? But the angels, sheer choirs of angels. In a friendship, no more than a friendship, it was a marriage, a marriage made in the grave. While that's happening, you're just getting a cacophony, a full-on cacophony of uh, 
various instruments of just pump like drums that sound like they're falling down a flight of stairs. <laughs> Every instrument is going through a mental breakdown. You can tell that he's clenched and like crunched over his guitar, a cold sweat beating on his brow. <laughs> Some of these sounds sound like he's physically breaking the instrument. Yeah. From Istanbul to Madrid. Listening to this record, re-listening to this record, I almost like don't think of as re-listening to a record or like listening to music because music is designed to or or is is uh well suited for like listening to it again and again and again you know over and over uh versus like movies or tv shows uh obviously you can watch many times but for me you know i'll listen to a record 50 times and still want to keep listening to it versus a movie or a particular you know episode of a show you know i might watch once a year or something like that and come back to it uh like eyes wide shut for instance i watch every you know december um and like listening to this record is more alike doing that, like revisiting a movie or a particular television show or, or episode than listening to a record for me, because it's not me anticipating a guitar riff or, you know, the chorus coming up or, you know, the fucking drum beat that rolls in for Joker Man or something like that. It's it's these like dramatic moments of of um, uh, of action and of speech that you know are coming and you're just waiting, you're anticipating them and you're waiting for them and then they finally come and there's like a moment of release almost like like we're, we're past that, we're through that, thank God we can get on to the next one. <laughs> oh, so that it would be a stronger world. Loving world to die in. I mean, it feels like you are watching an art film. Yeah, like exactly. And it is a record of these very specific, very vulnerable performances it is kind of like cassavetti's yeah there's kind of a cassavetti's quality to some of this isn't there faces the idea the ideas behind it um creatively um are similar the impulse to do something that is more raw and pure and distinctly unpleasant (laughs) yeah yeah it's allowed to go there and i think at the same time it's allowed to go to places of intimacy that you kind of earn by going through some really harrowing but beautiful music. That'll do it for side A. Jokerman. If you grow tired of the friends you make In case you mean to say something else 
say they were the best of times you ever had The best of times with a thoughtless kind We dressed conservatively at the best of times Prefer the shadows to the bright lights in the eyes of the ones we love The bright lights in the eyes of the ones we love One we see, one we imagine The eyes tell us nothing The bright lights in the eyes of the ones we love will tell Scars of imagination The scars of imagination The bright lights in the eyes of the ones you love Will tell you nothing Except you're the thoughtless kind So if you grow tired of the friends you made Never ever turn your back on them Say they were the best of times you ever had The best of times with a thoughtless kind The best of times with a thoughtless kind